You are listening to TV on the Throne, a Game of Thrones podcast, brought to you by TV8MyDinner.com. Do you know what the realm is? A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Across the ocean, and then I don't know any of those places. The shimmering, or whatever. And the thing, I uh, the narrow sea. I guess is the assumption is it shouldn't be that hard to get the Dothraki across. It's, it's freaking narrow. They need to man up long enough for a short boat ride. That's what goats say. That's my favorite goat. You think that's our goat? You're listening to TV on the Throne. My name is Sean. I'm here with Andrew. Tonight we're going to be talking about episode six of season three. Are we really six episodes into this? I think it's pretty good. The climb. Yeah, we've been doing well. Like six episodes at six weeks in a row. We've been putting out so much material that I have to delay because we're actually we're actually using up our monthly allotment. Oh, really? <laughs> so it's like as as we record this, it's still going to be like another day before I can actually put the last episode out because we were actually full up this weekend. I'll fill up. <laughs> it does not usually happen that way, folks. It's usually the opposite. It's like, you got all the space in the world. You're going to put anything out? Meh. We didn't even record. And instead, this weekend, I'm like, make a mini-sode. At least we have room for a mini-sode. Push product. Does it, does it do it like in a weird end of the month? Because it's like already past the beginning of the month. It's it's specifically the drop off is you know whatever whenever, whenever you did you signed it up. so it's like if you fill up the month there's like you can see a schedule of when we're because it'll archive and then you can put more stuff up so it'll tell you when you're you're due again so it's like oh my god it's like on Sunday it's like I've got 40 megs to work with we have to make a 40 meg episode for this weekend and I got two brand new full full length episodes to put out throughout the yeah. week but it's a good time for us in that because normally that is not the case. So this this Game of Thrones thing is good for us that we're putting out so much material. And then the, there'll be no more it's podcasts like the, the rest of the year after. <laughs> well, because, yeah, we take our peaks and valleys because right now it's like everyone, like we've we got this stuff going on and like like we, we push that advantage because there will be times where, especially around the holidays, usually it's not till the end of the year, but but near the end of the year and around the holidays it's like nobody is available so you you could have a good two months of no shows you gotta at all bank up but, bank up your ranking and bath retrospective yeah <laughs> then we start putting out filler episodes like this mini show that i just put out was like sean and andrew talk about daylight <laughs> yeah, savings time like they did when it happened <laughs> But now, later on, it's like it's a bonus featurette. Whenever I say bonus featurette, it means it's no longer topical to whatever the hell is going on. Yeah, too many. This last episode that we wouldn't have put out unless we didn't have anything else to. 
but we have no... I, I listen to stuff, and I'm like, let's do that. That's funny. I'll put that out. I don't care. No one's listening to that going, I needed a topical Daylight Saving Time episode. What are they talking about? I don't understand. Daylight Saving Time was months ago. <laughs> we assume we're in time. All of this is gold. Comedy gold. <laughs> I do follow deception that it's all gold. <laughs> Nothing goes to the cutting room floor. Everything we say is brilliant. I just start recording all day long while I'm at work. <laughs> Don't let America miss a single thought. I say America, it's the yeah. world, actually. Captain's log, start date 1230. <laughs> <laughs> just thought of something amazing again. That's what yeah. Facebook is, really is. Just had another amazing thought for you, world. You're Buckle welcome, up. world. <laughs> You're welcome. Just thought of another awesome thing that I'd share with you. <laughs> So at least we're fair. At least there's more than one viewpoint, and when people can write back. And Facebook, when people write comments to what you say, it's almost like, yeah, right. shut up. I'm right. You're wrong. That's what Facebook is all about. I'm going to go back to Twitter, where no one ever questions anything I say. In what, 40 characters or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> there's not enough time to have, like, a biting argument. All right. So now we've already wasted the first few minutes. Of Everybody's the already tuned up. <laughs> like, oh god, I thought we were talking about Game of Thrones every time. Every I time this they was do a Game this of Thrones to us. podcast. <laughs> oh my god, no wonder the it's two hours these episodes. Now I'm gonna take that out, and make a mini set out of it because that's gold. <laughs> yeah. Five minutes of us talking about how awesome we are. I'll make I'll make an awesome mini cast of just us talking about how awesome we are. <laughs> Welcome to the world of unscripted, unpaid yeah. entertainment. <laughs> All right. So in episode six, the climb, which is another, they're really getting really good at these these sort of metaphorical arcs for the because obviously, well, kissed by fire was, was they they stretched a little bit in that one, but the, but this one really is about you know the sort of arduous journey. That is epitomized in this this central moment of them actually climbing this impossible ice wall, as you stated last episode, for no real reason. Yeah, I still don't understand why. I mean, it seems like <laughs> they don't even in the episode they don't even explain why they want to climb. The I mean, wall. I wonder. I don't know if it's clear, but like they say, there's 19 castles and only three are man. But at each of those castles, do they have like a gate? Yeah, wouldn't there be an easy way if you've got like sixteen unmanned castles? Isn't that like a really easy way in? Most I still of the don't time? understand the purpose. Again, of having yeah, we don't even know what their goal is. A crow that is a crow that nobody knows turned. We don't trust him at all. So let's take him on this really difficult journey where he's of no strategic yeah, value to us. Yeah, you just walk up to the gate. Hey, let me in. I got lost, and then they could all just kind of he could just get in and then open the gate. Yeah, because the worst thing that would happen, he'd go in there and he'd go, there's wildlings outside and that'd be it. It's not like they'd come out to get you. You'd be like, oh, that turned out the well, way we thought it would. <laughs> and they just leave. Uh, a... Like, now let's go clam a wall somewhere where they won't be there's looking for us. There's a reason they us. built a wall to keep these people out. And they're not, <laughs> they're not the smartest. <laughs> yeah, for real. We need a wall to keep out dumb climb people. climb it. <laughs> yeah, we'll climb that wall. It says in the episode that guy. The wall next says, to the oh, yeah, door. That one guy climbed it over half a hundred times. I'm like, what did he do those half hundred times? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Just because it was there, 
He's like just a regular thrill-seeking asshole. Like he just got to the top and went, "This is awesome," and went back down. Yeah, it seems very and like it seems like he would know the stuff, the like the intel or something. He didn't do like, oh yeah, if we poke enough holes in that, it'll crack an avalanche. Yeah, that would have been helpful as a tip. I like the whole. I like the whole. We're skipping. Yeah, we haven't even. That's not what happens at the beginning of the episode. We're yeah, the beginning of the episode when the Sam singing the song, which is a it's piggy making a fire. It's a very weird scene. It's a, and it, yeah, it just like. <laughs> what I like about that is, you know, obviously, he's not the ladies' man, but he's very impressive to her because she'd lived just a horrible existence, and almost anything is That's awesome was... to her. Where she's looking at, to the fact that he can even sing a song of any kind, that she's just like, oh, he's so he awesome. It's like he can't the fact even. That he fire. doesn't beat her constantly. This is mm-hmm. a plus for her. Exactly. He has no. He, he has no intention to abuse me in any way. So she's sort of in I think love the only point him, of that scene was actually though, show the dragon glass thing to hint. I mean, because they make a point of showing that, and they found that before or last year or whatever, and then they they mm-hmm. for some no reason he what just pulls it out of his pocket and goes, "Hey, look at I got." He's impressed by it. Yeah, and she's not like you know, in, even having grown up in a savage world, she doesn't know the value of a knife because that's all it is. It's like it's like ancient like sort of chips. So I'm guessing sort of that like that's weapon. the thing that can kill White Walkers or something. I bet I'm sure that it'll become like it must be because there's no reason that, they'd yeah. show it again or dragons or something. So that the fact that he has it, yeah, and it becomes mostly useless that it's in his possession. So yeah, and then we move on to the intricacies of skinning rabbits. Yeah, there's a lot of. This week's it's a lot of rabbit I love all these scenes because I watched it again and they're all fun. It's like the first time this one was probably the slowest episode. Not like bad slow. It's just it was probably the most until. That was yeah, it's just, even that scene was interesting. It's just I it, I feel bad for these guys with a show like this because everybody's like, oh my god, come on. I mean, <laughs> I know, and because you want to balance the characters, this is their right. real challenge. Because if you notice, because they want to balance the characters and they don't want to stay too long away from a character with an ongoing arc, they just have all these seemingly, you know, disparate vignettes. They're like, okay, and this guy's talking about this, and then cut to other side of the world. It's, this is yeah, going it seems on. Like, like, and they have to sort of thematically marry those ideas. It's, well, it it's seemed like that was a lot of that at the beginning. The story of this, even, I mean, those two, at least those first two scenes, because like the first one's like, yeah, we got to show them again. Nothing's really happening, and we got to kind of introduce, remember, remind you about this dragon glass thing. And the next one, it's like, well, we got to show you these people are still here, and then also that this guy because mm-hmm. they haven't really had a. And then they have a vision of Jon Snow, so we can segue to <laughs> yeah. Jon Snow on the other side of the wall. But that's it. And. And sort of solidify his relationship. I with like that lady, scene. That's which a, I like. I mean, because she is like, I'm not a moron. It's obvious what you're after, but he's I don't like, care. You're for me now. He's like, you, you, he's like, you don't betray your lady. And it's so it's so true because it's back to exactly what we were talking about. You know, it's like 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 regional loyalty means right. nothing. Personal loyalty means everything. Like that's sort of – that's our speech. It sort of backs up what we're talking oh, about and everything. Yeah, the serving people. You don't, you don't worry about serving them. You serve me. Our relationship Well, again, it's matters. the whole episode. We serve every, each I mean, other. We'll get to these parts, but every scene in this episode, it's about – I mean, this whole season's about that. It really is. It's like when you – Yeah, every serving. episode hammers that point in. 
It's like, who do you serve and why should you serve them? And the only relationships that matter are personal relationships, because that's what it comes down to. It's like these broader loyalties always end up screwing you. I was thinking about that today. I, guess, I shouldn't even say it, I guess. <laughs> but, well, I was just thinking about how Robert Baratheon, you know, ensured the death of, of, of Eddard Stark in the early days of the show because I'm going through the first book and it just keeps bringing that home to me it's like oh my god because you know the stag is like the symbol of the Baratheon house and it's like that's the metaphor at the beginning of the thing it's like the the, the wolf with the broken antler yeah like gored by and the and that's antler. what killed it it's like the stag killed the antler and orphaned its you know the stag killed the wolf and orphaned its children and that's exactly what happened. It's like, because if you want to say Robert Baratheon caused the death of Eddard Stark, like, you know, indirectly, but you could also say, you know, his son, who was like the bearer of his family sigil at the time, literally did it. But it's, it's the stag kills the wolf. And that's like what starts the story. The whole story is about that. It's like, I, I, would, I, I don't even want to talk about it because I'm like, we, we're going to go back and talk about the first episodes yeah. within the context of the... And then, like, that's a perfect thing to talk about. But it's like, oh, it occurs to me right now. I'm going to talk about it. But, it. but I see that, you know, even, you know, in this season, because that's what it's talking about. Even in the sense of those that are considered personal loyalties, you're still creating it as a, as a sort of loyalty to kingdom instead of a loyalty to your friend. Because you made a king out of your friend and a kingdom of him for that. And that's what ruined everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's with them, too. It's like, oh, I'm going to serve these guys because they're good guys. And, and, and John, at that on, moment, I mean, he still doesn't know that the Night's Watch is gone. That's insane at this point. So he's like, he still yeah. thinks that. I mean, he, still, he doesn't know that Mormont's dead either. I mean, he doesn't know that any of those people. What has ha- Mm-mm. He has no he idea what's going on. not 300 guys still. I mean, he knows that some people died, but he doesn't know. They didn't find the bodies. That yeah. an army of zombies is marching on the wall. Like, I mean, he literally doesn't know there's 20 people him. left of those people. Or The beauty of this story is that there's no communication because you see these characters who are all separated from each other doing the best they can with the limited amount of information. And you're like, oh, if only you knew. It's like, but they don't. And, like, that's the whole point. Like, this is what happens. They just have to go with what they think is the best thing based on what they do know, which is usually wrong. And the people are so close to each other, and sometimes they don't even know it. Or close to a situation is what ends up happening. You know, we don't know the global scale, but we're making decisions that have global consequences. It's like, that's the metaphor. Because even in a world, like, even in an information age, that still seems to be what ends up happening. But, so so we have that. And then we move on to the Red Woman and the the Brotherhood without banners. And we find out what's going on with the Bastard. I'm enjoying her, because like, I think she's such an interesting actress, like, and she's intriguing character. Mm-hmm. And I find that, I, I like Stannis and I like that whole thing, but his storyline, it's, although, like, Somebody mentioned this at work, although it's very realistic and he's a very realistic character, he's just not a lot of fun to watch. You know, it's just like, okay, it's back to this. But now you see her doing stuff in the world, it's much I mean this this stuff was fascinating. The stuff between the 
especially now because she was the single right. crazy. That's the thing. It's like when she first showed up and she's just like bending him, you know, with with her, you know, wiles and her craziness. But then she actually makes a smoke baby and you're like, holy hell, there's something actually up with this chick. She really has some kind of power. And then we cut to the Brotherhood Without Banners, and we're like, wait, this Lord of Light business, they really do have like some kind of magical powers. And then she meets up with them, and you're like, oh my god, there's like a whole bunch of business going on with them. And it's so weird, because it's like we were talking about before, where she says, like, Stannis, Stannis Baratheon's blood matters. And like, Baratheon blood matters. And you're like, why? Because it becomes even weirder to the point where abducting like Robert's bastard is of value. It's like, why is that particular bloodline? Who knows? Bloodline? I mean, they you count, maybe they came. I don't know what the history of them. I mean, maybe they came from something that has to do with this because that yeah. religion came from across the sea too, or something. So, and that mythic element comes again because you think you know, like the beginning of the series, like when they discovered the the orphan direwolf pups. And it's been killed by the stag, and you think, well, maybe this is really like a deeper metaphor for everything. Like maybe the Baratheon line, like Robert's not just like his idiot friend who got him in trouble. Maybe there's like some kind of ordained thing going on here. Like from the beginning, like they were like like the Baratheon line meant was meant to destroy the Starks or or incite them in some way, you know, to set in motion right. these events. To where, the, to where it's literally important that his blood is out there, which is why Joffrey is not important because like he's not actually Baratheon w- blood. So it's like this isn't just like some drunkard that we all decided to make king. There really is some kind of kingly legacy in in the Baratheon blood. I wonder if she blood. has some like, kind of crazy, uh, like like sacrifice thing in store for him, or if it's or I mean, what she says like you will make kings yeah, rise and fall. Like, that that means like she switched to this kid now that she can. Or is she just gonna sacrifice him to that end? Yeah. That's deliberately ambiguous. It's like, or are you just gonna bleed me out and other people will become king because you're just a crazy magical lady? Yeah, I mean, I don't. And then the whole Arya business, where she's like, "There's darkness, and I see it, and green eyes and blue eyes, eyes you will shut." Like, oh, like who God. has green eyes and blue eyes? Is that Cersei or is that a? <laughs> I know you start thinking like, because Arya has this awesome darkness that's been building since last season, where she's like keeps this this hit yeah, list. Yeah, she says every night before she goes to bed. Mm-hmm, this mantra of people that she wants to die, and you think, oh man, so like like she's sort of fostering this this darkness inside her, to the point where like she actually did like manage to to develop like some kind of relationship with a supernatural being that literally carried out those wishes. Yeah. It's like she seems like this, this guy that she got hold of, like she did, he did her bidding and she was able right. to like, actually name names and he would go out to the point where she could make him, she could name his name. And he was like bound to her until she lit, like would unname him. It's like like he has a really cool sense of honor. Yeah, he's like, you must unname me. <laughs> uh-huh. But he's that serious about things. And then we get to Theon again. Poor Theon. 
And this is the. It's just going to be tortured for yeah, a whole season. Gets, I mean, I guess I, I mean the whole point of that other thing was it was this character's introduction. I mean, you see now he's much more of a bigger character, but even at the end of this, like he says he's that Costarker. That's what he guesses, but then he, I think it's right, but then he's like, no, I was lying. So you're like, who is this kid? Yeah. So like first you like really think Theon's onto something here. Like on the third guess, he got it, and he's like gets bolder and bolder. It's like no, no, all right. wrong. So I mean. I don't even care. I just and he says, I just want to peel off your finger or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so this kid, I mean, I, I don't know who it would be. I mean, I tend to think it's, now I'm thinking it's like somebody from the, the Bolton people because they're the only ones that, <clears throat> just because, I mean, it has to be, they have to, I mean, they're like a castle, right? I mean, they're at a place. So they have to be one of the people. And I doubt they're going to introduce new people this late. So it seems like, and the fact they haven't said it yet, so it's like, it feels like it's going to be revealed that it's like, you know, they're in King's Landing or there's, you know, somewhere. I mean, I guess they're not because you see them, they're north somewhere. And the only... They, well, I about to say, they can't be too that the far south. The only north other people is those mean, Bolton people, I guess. I mean, the big ones they've introduced in the show. I mean, I just doubt it's going to be some other house we've never heard of right at the end of the season. Like, I feel like it's going to be like, oh my goodness. And it seems... Well, and I still wonder if it's not something to do with his dad, just because even with the the pinky thing, it's like they're they're finding these. Like he even said, like a pinky finger is not very important, and it is true. It's like all the things they're doing to him don't don't rob him of the functionality. Right. Like they they strengthen him. It's it's not like with Jamie where they cut off a hand and then he can no longer fight. It's all little things. So I mean I. I... Like, your little finger, you can't do much with your little finger, but if I torture you enough, you beg me to cut it off. Do we just want to play with your limits? But like I said, when the guards are going to, like, rape him, he's like, no, we can't have that. Like, there's still some weird sense of dignity. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I have no idea. This is, like, one... <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. I mean, it's kind of not fun to watch those scenes you're like jesus Christ. well it's, it's yeah. dragging on it's like you know i know theon has it coming but come on stop poking him with things it's almost like it is like an affirmation of the audience it's like yeah that's true it's like you're detesting our humanity we don't want to see that yeah it's just a weird it's just a weird little moment in the actual whole plot of it so hopefully they'll <laughs> i mean who knows and now you kind of want theon to get revenge on this kid <laughs> I've always liked Theon too. I mean, he did horrible stuff, and he's—it's like I always have these sympathy for these horrible people like Jamie and Theon. Well, see, it's weirder because it's almost more believable with, with Jamie because Theon, even in the book, Theon is presented very early on as sort of just you know cruel and cold. Like he doesn't have the sort of heart that the Starks have. You don't know why. I mean, in the book they explain who he is, but you don't know why in the, in the the series, you just think right. he's one of them. And then later on in the TV show, they, they explain, no, yeah, very early on in the book, when they introduce Theon, they tell you what his backstory is. So you get that a little bit more, but he's never sympathetic right. in the same way as he is in the show. Because in the show, you're like, man, this guy's just a tool. So, so we go forward to to Rob's apology. I, I guess, uh, I mean, he didn't. He acquitted himself well enough, I guess. But we kind of thought maybe he had something up his sleeve than just plain offering them more stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a. Um, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that he handled it well because he faced him. But it's kind of just like 
you see how much business everything is. Like the guy doesn't really care. He's just like, I just need to marry her. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you got to marry my daughter off to someone. Give him your stupid uncle. And then he's kind of guilting right, him. Fair enough. And I felt like, man, look, that's like kind of crappy. <laughs> no, because he's like, yeah, this is my screw up, and you have to deal in it. But you are the family screw up, so whatever. But you did mess up that one battle, so. Uh... Yeah, so spend the rest of your life with whoever <laughs> yeah. this guy gives you. I mean, that's what they say. I mean, that's like the, the retribution for that. And I was like, well, that was like one time. I mean, you didn't, you know, put aside your whole cause just to marry a girl. So, I don't know. Yeah, it is funny. Uh, it's like when you think he's finally, he's going to turn around and make it right. He just kind of puts it to somebody else. Yeah, so I mean, that was a, that was weird. I mean, it was very realistic. I mean, that's I mean, you think yeah, that's probably how it play out, but it was just kind of like <laughs> that's kind of crappy for for its uncle. I mean, <laughs> yeah. After last episode, were you such a badass? Yeah, but so, to just yeah. sort of like you know, I, I screwed things up. You're gonna have to just take one for the you team the, here. Yeah, you want the biggest thing? I was like, I don't care. Yeah, here I have it. I mean, he could give him King's Landing for Christ's sake, because nobody. He, I mean, they're not even like. He's just going to go back north. So, I mean, they're going to kill Joffrey, but then what are they going to... Who's going to be in King's Landing? Of course, I don't know. I plan. guess maybe he he has a broader plan to... I mean, does he think... To actually stabilize the kingdom. I mean, if he's going with his dad's wishes, his dad wanted Stannis to be there. So, I mean, that's a way... I, you know, that's what... I mean, that he could appeal to Stannis later on because he's like, hey, listen, dude, you can have it. I don't know that he's against it, but but like we were saying in the last episode, this really is more like the kids coming into their own and making their own way. It's like the sort of the death of the old code, and then the kids have to make their own. So I'm not sure that Rob's intention is to follow whatever it was that Ned wanted, because that didn't go very far. You know, it's like, well, yeah, he wanted that, but then he didn't realize he's going to get his head cut off well, for but, it I mean, either. But, still, but again, though, I mean, he's. But all he's doing is what Ned would have done, though, so far. I mean, even last week where he killed that guy, I mean, that's... If you watch that HBO Go thing, even that actor is saying that's what... I mean, it's going through Rob's head. It's like, he doesn't know what to do. And the only thing he can do is just what exactly what his dad would have done. Because his dad would have killed the guy. Because he betrayed and he killed well, kids. And so, like... In that one sense, he's following. But that's where, you know, Ned was almost a more successful father than he realized. Because he instilled them with this personal sense of principle. But he himself didn't really follow that the way he should have because he let that personal principle sort of get them embroiled in all this political nonsense that got him killed. Like, they're following that personal sense of principle, but in a way that that matters more sincerely. Or it's like, I'm doing the hard thing, but I, but I, my overall goal is just as principled, whereas Ned's goal was not principled overall because he was following a king who was asking him to do dumb things like he was yeah across getting the... he was becoming involved in in a a a, re, a sort of regime that he knew to be at least to some degree corrupt yeah i mean across the board i guess that is a message because we didn't even bring up i mean because you could say that i mean i guess cersei's older but jamie is younger than ned so i mean he's in between rob and ned what ned's age would be and even he, yeah. there was a whole, last week, the whole juxtaposition of what he did for the king and then what that um, Selmy, you know, the king's other guy across the narrow sea, like, well, I served some bad kings, but, you know, that's like, he just, but, you know, he was still serving, yeah, though. He didn't, you know. One thing, yeah, they sort of gloss over. They don't, they don't leave it out. But one thing it's easy to forget is that, you know, Jamie's like 17 when all that was going on. Right. 
like he was an idealistic young man who was like a, a knight and he made a really difficult decision yeah and based on the situation based on what he thought the situation called for so i mean he kind of did that before he was the first one to do that then I mean, and that is like the start of what made Ned Stark think he was not honorable or to be trusted. Well, it killed. It made Robert King. It started all this. If you think about it, like <laughs> all these people, if he had done that, I mean, this one, you know, be a little different situation. I guess I don't know. All of King's Landing would be dead. I guess, but <laughs> it'd be a different situation than what happened. So, I mean, I guess the whole theme of that is the fact that you know, throwing away this kind of archaic sense of honor. When it, it kind yeah. of interferes with morality, that actually, no, you can't actually kill that person, though. That's wrong. And that's weird because that's that's sort of like the first taste of what we see in the rest of the story. With, like, that's the first seed planted that's sort of tearing away at that traditional sense of honor because he's like, you know, when I came in, he was sitting on the Iron Throne. You know, like, oh, who cares? He didn't try to keep it. He's probably just shook up. He just killed. Yeah, the he was like a kid who had just violated everything he was sworn to protect for what he was certain was the correct thing to do as an outcome. And you, as sort of an old voice of of what is honorable and good, could have been a calming influence on that. But instead, he could see immediately when you walk through the door the dis- the disgust that you had. I mean, it's, re- for him. it's really only seat in the room, too, if you think about it. Like, <laughs> That's what Robert said. I, I like how they tre- – He's like, there's nowhere else to sit down. I like how they treat that, too. It's like – because they said, well, he was sitting there, and I told him to get up. And he's like, well, you could have sat there. And they're talking to Ned and Jamie. He's like, you could have sat there and taken it. It's like, it's like the king of the realm is like has shotgun rules. It's like, shotgun. I called it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, First one to actually sit in the chair gets like, to be king. Like it's like this is literally like chess. Yeah, that, I mean that's not doesn't it's like give if you, you any just power. Just get to the side of the room. Cause then my five guys will come and tear you out of the chair. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a weird. If if yeah if if it, any of this has taught us anything, it's that just getting to that chair is not the challenge alone. I mean, it's keeping it. Yeah, I mean you can see like. It, <clears throat> you're thinking about like you're talking about Rob not having a plan about when they get to King's Landing. I was like, eh, well, seems like they didn't have a plan either. They hadn't had a discussion about who was going to be king among those two <laughs> when they overtook. I mean, it's a rebellion. I mean, who's gonna? They're just like, well, you got there first, but you can take it, I guess. But so. you know, when you're in the book, when they're talking about that sort of stuff, it seems sort of clear, like, cause, cause even at that point, you know, Robert wasn't even there. Like, the whole reason Robert missed out on all that kind of stuff was because he was, like, with a girl or something somewhere. It's like, there wasn't even, like, a good, like, tactical reason he was there. It was just, like, Ned and then were doing mop-up at that point. And it had already been established that they were fighting to, to sort of create his kingship so somewhere along the line they, they'd already decided that they wouldn't like you know we all got in the room and then we then, then quickly we just sort of decided one of us was going to be king they'd already sort of decided that and that gets me back to wondering again is like was there some is there some deeper reason why the baratheon line was considered more valid i don't know the history of it i mean there might be some deeper meaning behind that or some what their lineage is. I mean, because if that in that book they have that long history of their lineage that he found that you know Joffrey's the first one with blonde hair, and so that he really. Well, yeah, that's the whole. Yeah, <laughs> wait a second. 
<laughs> the like, whole basis, I didn't realize the beginning he had blonde of hair before I read this. Wait a second. I know, yeah. That's wait where like a a, this TV show has to illustrate a thought process because you can't just go, wait, wait a second, we've all known they've had blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, they've had blonde hair. Well, it's the like, whole and thing, and, and like if your mother has, has blonde like, hair, so he could out. just have blonde hair. That's really not genetically right. <laughs> it's like he could just have blonde hair because his mom has blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, it happens. If every Lannister ever always had blonde hair, then he's got a better than fair chance of being fair, I guess. So, anyways. So, then we go to, like, Jamie. I like how the, the arc here is to see if Jamie can avoid being a shit. I guess they are at Hall now, though. Yeah, they are at Hall. Because you asked me earlier if they are actually... Yeah, because I like I watch the opening sequence and I see all these places and I'm like, where are these places? Yeah, the, and it's like, is that where is that where they're holding Jamie? Yeah, they're Harrenhal? occupying Harrenhal now. I guess you're right. So, okay, so yeah, so that's where Bolton is holding, and that's like the place they've decided to just give. Like, even though who cares? Like, like, they're like <laughs> give up Harrenhal. It's like it's a pile of crap. Yeah. We've got to give up something to someone. We give up a pile of crap that we don't want to somebody else. Yeah, that's a hard thing because it's, it's like, fair. you know how long it takes to rebuild a castle? That takes like 100 years. And yeah, it's, it's a bunch of land. So if you're a king, you'll just, just be dead day. before it's even finished. And you're like, well, Jesus, I don't want that. <laughs> For real. If like it's a matter of lordship, that's difficult to maintain because then you have to have people that will defend that much land. And you don't even have a fortified position. Like, you don't have a base of operations for that. Man, it's I like mean, a what, bunch of land without any kind of castle is like a crappy deal for a lord. And apparently in this world, it's like, what, it's like 10 years, like pretty optimistic of a reign as any kind of lordship or king. It's not like you're mm-hmm. like, for 50 years I ruled. It's like, well, you had a good six-year stretch. And now well, there's another the war. Whole, <laughs> the whole concept of these seven kingdoms even banding together at all was that they were supposed to sort of protect each other from the outside. But they seem... You know, much, much less threatened from external forces as they are just fighting a threat each other. to each other. <laughs> yeah. That's what the Targaryens did. It's like they took all these seven kingdoms that were actually seven separate regimes, and then they just made them all these sort of regencies under a single. Well, I crown. think that kind of the whole overlying thing is that they were under iron fist because of dragons. They were literally ruled well, yeah. by even that. That's what happened to Heron Hall. It's like the guy Heron Hall, the Heron, or I guess his name Heron, or it might have been Heron Hall. He built. He was the last. Like he's like, no, I built the strongest castle. It's like you can't. I can do what I want to. I have the biggest land and all this stuff. And then they just burned him alive in his castle. The dragons did so. Mm-hmm. That's like that. Well, that's the thing. It's like we marched like eight thousand, and they brought out three dragons, and that was it. Like like all the, the the history of dragons when there were dragons in this story. It's like that was it. Yeah, I mean that's who, if you had dragons back in those days. That was it. I mean Aegon the Conqueror, one of those lat, the one that you know their great grandfather, whoever. He actually, I mean the the stories that he actually rode the dragon. I was like, holy crap, that's impressive. Yeah, good god, yeah, and unnecessary because the dragon. <laughs> Dragons by themselves were threat enough, but that's just psychological. It's like I'm going to be riding that dragon at my own personal peril. It's like so, just I'll, just so you see me on it. All I'm asking you to do is just kneel before me. That's all. It's like take the knee yeah. or just get burned alive. <laughs> yeah, swear fealty, and that's it. You get to basically have your kingdom all exactly the same as it was, except you're under me, and we're all fine. So then they go away, and it's like a Lord of the Flies for everybody. 
Yeah, well, that's exactly what this story is. It's like you had this definitively superior force that finally everyone overthrew, and then you realize it's like without that to sort of sort of unify everyone, we're just going to fight amongst ourselves. Yeah. Because we were all sort of united against hating that. That's why the dragons coming back may be a good thing, just like the zombies may be a good thing. It's like we sort of need an external threat to bring us all together because we just won't make it otherwise. Because you see the Lannisters. Lannisters can't even sit in power. Like, they have power. And someone else is like, well, I'd like to do this. Like, "Mm -mm, no, we have to control every aspect of everything. Like, so, well, there you go. But what's even the benefit of that? Yeah, I don't. It's I mean, it's all just a power trip. It just because it's not real power. It's only however strong your army is, and it seems, I don't know. It's 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 a very it's very strange. Like it's a I mean, it, it's very realistic for human nature. I mean, because this happened. It's like the War of the Roses. Yeah. That's what he based this. You know, like the whole idea is that people do this anyway. But it's such a silly. It's like, well, I have power, but it's like, do you want to be in that position? It's like you kind of you kind of like. I mean, that's why Ned was such a protagonist of the story because he's like, I just want to be at home. And just yeah, be up here. I just want to be with my family. And then you're like, you know, well, where you failed in that was that you got involved in all this politics. Because if you basically had just said, I don't want to be anything to do with that, and I'm just going to be up in Winterfell, it would have been very difficult for anybody to even care to come up to that part of the world and try to. Because Winterfell's Russia. Right. You know, like nobody would want to try to take Winterfell, except that you left it undefended. The only reason it even got captured at all is because you left it undefended. And nobody's even there now. It's just burned and abandoned. Yeah, and they couldn't have kept it. Even even them, like when they took it, they couldn't have kept it. That was the whole thing. It's like, you idiot! Yeah. Like, how are you going to keep this? Like, I don't know. I just wanted to show them I could take it. <laughs> so that's the only thing they could do is just like burn it out and get out of here. But if they had fortified in Winterfell, like they, the, nobody would have wanted to mess with them. As we were right at the wall, the wall is what you've already determined is like the very edge of the world, and we're defending that edge. Why would you even want to come up here and mess with us? Like he could have stayed up there forever and just made his line there, but no, he like decided the this sort of personal loyalty and sense of honor. So anyway, that, that, so they're, that's the whole thing. They're, they're at Aaron Hall. That's basically the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we get back to Jamie's arc because it's like Jamie and Brienne is like the sort of you you want to see like the Han Solo like to an to an extreme degree like Jamie is the Han Solo basically because we have this character whose turning point is undefined. She's Leia to an extreme degree too, I guess. If you think about it, she's like Turbo Butch Leia. Yeah. Well, and it's the same in a weird way without making it necessarily a romantic thing. We don't know where they're headed with it. Uh, Without making it an overtly romantic sort of thing, it is that relationship where it's literally that love-hate relationship. But they have a mutual respect for each other now. Yeah, she's the one who sort of fires his sensibilities at this point because she's the only one who sees anything redeemable in him. And that possibly can make him see something redeemable in himself. Like, like that's the arc. And it's all based around what's going to happen to her. Because now in this, this, they've even amped it up. Because now, 
like we are giving you your out because the first time it's like it's a reversal because the uh, yeah. first time he was like fighting for her honor and they gave him that and then he started like sort of arguing for himself so they cut off his hand and now it's like the reverse of that where he's sort of negotiated his release and then before he goes he's like no i gotta take her with me it's like really you won't play that way again you don't remember what happened last time because it's you much? your position instead of your yeah. hand like. so so now it's like it's the noble thing to play for too much because he's just doing it for her and it's like if you don't do that then you have an out if you do that then you could lose another hand it's like that's and that's where we leave them and how much i mean like, they literally put her in a dress now she is a damsel in distress because she can't do anything and yeah can, and you know and he's gotta i mean he's gonna get free from those people he has to i mean and like that's his decision where he just breaks for home or tries to go save her that has to be the conflict well, that's coming. well that's that's the whole arc yeah. for him it's like are you would you jeopardize because now playing the father card you have sort of gotten your release will you jeopardize that to sort of try to become your own man to follow this personal principle that you have discovered in yourself because you have no reason to care about her yeah and what happens to her but you now do despite your best interests so what what happens from that? Like what can you do with that as a man? Like that's that's a really interesting character play that they've put him into. It's like will Jamie sort of rise and become a more interesting character, or does he become? It's, it's sort of Tennessee Williams. It's like will he literally become the same man, or will he like blossom into a more dy- dynamic kind of character? Yeah, I mean they've gone through all that stuff together, so now it's at the perfect point of where. I mean, old Jamie would have left people he was even more connected to in that sense. Old Jamie would have broken her neck to get out of there. So now we see, it's like, would you actually jeopardize your only chance at freedom to to actually help this other person where there's no benefit to you in helping them? Well, now, and then he hammered home that he can't get his dad to help anymore because he's like, because he even called him on it this time. So now I think he knows he just has to do it, take matters into his own hands, I think. Much more well, this is the very end. Yeah. We are at the cusp of deciding that letting you go is easier than killing you and pretending you're never here. But that doesn't mean that isn't an option. Yeah, and that also doesn't mean that we're going to let you win by taking your friend, too. Like, that's our way we win because nobody cares about her. And I'm a lord, and I don't care about Sapphire. And he probably knows that's not true as well. So, yeah. Because that's a lie. So, And he's not an idiot like those other guys are, so... So, yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see, which, you know, it looks like we're going to start seeing where that heads next episode. So that's not hanging over us too long. In the next scene, we find Grandma Terrell versus Papa Lannister. Yeah, this is is pretty intense. Like, this is one of the ones, this is like the the action This is the sequel to that conversation between her and Tyrion. Yeah, because with, when she's versus Tyrion, she's like, "I'm so disappointed that you turned out to be nothing," but he gets one over on her, and she's just like, "Oh well, finally a man who lives up to his reputation." <laughs> like, yeah. like she respects. Like you're as diabolical as I had thought. So at one point you wonder if she's just placating him, but at the other hand, you do feel like she's sort of like finally. But again, though, she like I mean, in the end, he gets his way. I mean, she breaks the pen, like, so not sign order. But, I mean, you still feel like she won, had the better of that exchange. <laughs> Even though, he, I mean, she, he, I mean, she gave in to him in the end. Because she got her licks. She probably doesn't care one way or the other. What does she care if her 
you know, gay nephew marries his old daughter. It's like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to have like kids Sansa with anybody anyway. Not, so, I mean. Yeah, Sansa was not really that strategically important. In fact, we picked Sansa just sort of to piss you off. And just so to, you wonder if maybe this is sort of what they were wanting in the first place. It's like we knew that if we tried to do something with her, it would get your attention because you had discarded her, but you hadn't gotten rid of her. Oh, that's fun. That's interesting. I didn't think about that. So it is almost their perfect way of m- making you bully us into doing exactly what we wanted to do anyway. Because that's how the Tyrells do everything. I like her little whole exchange between, like, you were never a boy with your squires and stuff. You know, you never experimented. Like, <laughs> not no, even never. once. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> not even at camp, my lord. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Well, this is. <laughs> come on, everybody has. Like, well, this is one time. Congratulations <laughs> for being the ungayest of all medieval men. <laughs> but it's almost like the incredulity that she puts that's like, really? Well, guess you're just a cut above the rest then. Yeah, she's like, it doesn't affect. Like, that's why I like her, because, yeah, I mean, she looks like water off the duck's back. She doesn't care about anything. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, I'm old. I can say what I want. He was a sword swallower through and through. Yeah, that's the line. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> but that's why, because that's where that really comes from. It's like she says, you know, he's like, you've heard, you know about him and his reputation. Surely he's a sword swallower through and through. But I also heard that your brother, you know, your your children, and we're screwing each other. What about that? It's like, I'll never, I would not dignify that with a response. It's like, so she is the upper hand. Yeah, because he can throw the accusation at her and she owns it. And she throws the accusation back to him about what's going on with his kids. And he, he can't accept it to himself, you know, even if, you know, even though he has to know that there's truth to it. It's like, it, it is funny. So she sort of owns him in that situation because he can't, like you said, it just rolls off her back. He can't do anything that gets to her. It gets under her skin. Yeah, it's like my thing's his thing's just a preference thing. Yours is way more. It's like let's do a survey yeah. of who's against what. Yeah, like what's more of an abomination? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, two. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know. In High Garden, they just approve the appeal for marriage. So. Yeah, High Garden is like this. <laughs> it's like it's utopia. like the blue state of Westeros. It is sort of like that where there's like, mm, in High Garden, everything's wonderful. It's like Portland, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's our liberal haven. It's our San Francisco. The dream of the 90s is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone drives a Prius in High Garden. It's kind of, I, I feel bad there's the next scene with um with uh, uh, Loris and Sansa. And, and yeah, at first it's kind of awkward, but they kind of, I mean, she's still kind of clueless. And that scene, but and she is a dumbass. But it's like he it's ends like one it thing being about like, her. like, "Well, this is probably better than getting out of here." He's like, "You feel like he turns in that conversation by going just like, well, you know, you're nice enough." And it's like, it's much a, it's got, and then you just feel bad for him because then the next scene is the best scene with Tyrion and Cersei watching that happen. <laughs> and he has, yeah, where you where you have to like see them plotting behind them because he's still just like, of all of us, I feel worse for her. <laughs> He's so like, he, I, that's why Tyrion's so smart because, I mean, he's always, I mean, he, that's the one concern. You forget that his life is in danger, but he's like, no, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> like, because he has no power play and he's always looking for an advantage. And, but I like that because there is a, like a, a sort of 
there's a real like family bond there that that seems authentic because at the same time because you just assume that Cersei had it done because she's so mean. Well, I like that. That's the like, big revelation of it. I mean, and he finally is like, you know, I always knew that you were too smart to do that. Like, so just admit that you're 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 covering for Joffrey, who's a moron. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean. Yeah, like, well, one second, I mean, one more point before it gets, like, I love how the, the best line of the episode's too when he has that, when he's like, so you'll be fine once Jamie gets here. And he's like, well, Jamie, where is he? When is he going to come back? And he's like, well, regardless, he's like, I'm effed. Yeah, <laughs> does, does, yeah it doesn't help me at all. But I think it's so interesting, this episode, on. I mean, kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, how, like, those first two scenes and... I mean, not the other ones because we've kind of been following them, but it seems like the theme of this episode is like, let's catch up with people we haven't got to. I mean, we haven't heard of. And like, you're forgetting about Joffrey. You're like, yeah, yeah, Joffrey's there. Blah, blah, blah. He's crazy. But he's kind of Joffrey just has an aside in this episode. But he's kind of become a doofus in a weird way, just like a sick, like weirdo that she's been controlling. And in two scenes, like one where he said, oh, no, Joffrey's the one that wanted you killed. It was like, ooh, crap. I mean, I thought he was too scared to do that. And then it's you know the later on where it cuts to him and he kills the girls like, like the, mm. the menace they put back into him because he's been kind of like well because what Joffrey is is like what Joffrey is is sort of this this perfect fear of the irrational because he's like this moron who's been given absolute power it's like that's the worst situation because if you put a guy who has a little bit of a brain in power then he's there's always a safeguard in that he's not going to do anything that that's going to remove him from power. Well, he's always going to have self-preservation. Yeah. But Joffrey's too stupid to know. It's like, you are not like, he's so dumb that he actually believes that he has absolute power literally because he's the king and he doesn't know. It's like, you're the product of a coup idiot. Yeah. They can happen. But that that's the thing is like, you can't trust in, you know, it's, sort of mad versus nuts you know the the strategy it's like you cannot trust a military strategist who is willing to sacrifice himself in the equation because you you have to just like well we have to surrender in the face of that whereas like mutually assured destruction it's like we know and they know and no one's going to do anything but if we think they're crazy enough to do it anyway then we really have to to think hard about what we're going to do because we can't count on the rationality of of our opponent yeah i mean but that's what so but that show again like the writing and the way they just in like those two scenes they go from they're hitting upon i mean they, they showed everybody in this episode except for denarius like they didn't show her but i mean just in two scenes yeah. they show little finger and varies talking you know doing the little thing again but then like and you also see how you see like the kind of menace of joffrey but also just the total like cold <laughs> ruthless attitude of Littlefinger too that he knows well you know, he, he shines he, he brings this whole episode together and that's sort of what they're talking about it's like he'd burn it off he could be king of the ash it's like right. that's exactly it's like it's like for the good of the realm is the one argument and then he's got like the joker argument well, and this, chaos yeah, and this is the, the latter this is the first time you've seen that though it's like where he just overtly moly. says it. it's like, like chaos is what i want chaos is my will to power yeah i mean jo- the joker thing's kind of apt because it's like it's like Joffrey is like the, the you know, the whatever guy out there. The <clears throat> I don't even know another Batman reference it's from the comic books. It's like he's the just he's the total he's the actual total chaos. And and Littlefinger is the chaos of the philosophy though. Like he's like, well, I, I'm gonna yeah. have all. Joffrey's these. like 
Joffrey's the bane. Yeah, of the comic he's book. He's just bane. sort of yeah, the, he's like just the big brute. blundering yeah. moron. And Joker's like like little figures Joker because he's just like I just want to tear it all down because that's. But he he's even worse than Joker because that's part of the plan. Like Joker wants to tear away the plan. Yeah. But but for Littlefinger, well, he has self-preservation. Joker plan. is like he doesn't he doesn't care, and Littlefinger wants to be king of the ashes. Like he wants to survive yeah, he, all of them. He wants to tear it all down, but he's the worst combination because it's like we we're saying it's like he does want power, but he also wants revenge. So he doesn't mind if his power comes at the expense of all. Yeah, and he doesn't have any real sense of honor or like or pride. I mean, he has a certain sense of pride that he keeps to himself, you know, and he doesn't want to be humiliated in certain ways. But, like, he doesn't, you know, shy away from what, what most men wouldn't do. Or I mean, he he's like a pimp, and so he's already used to being kind of the <laughs> degenerate in the eyes of the, you know, the other people as far as, like, what, you know, is considered honorable commerce in that world. So, I mean... Yeah, he's clawed his way into that sort of inner circle of society, but he knows he's not accepted as being lordly, so he doesn't care. He just wants to use that position to tear that, everything That's why out. Varys is such a cool foil for him, because he's the exact same upbringing. I mean, <laughs> Littlefinger, I mean, he didn't have a crazy amount of land, but he was, like, in the castle with Cat and all them, and he was, like, this ward. I don't know what... He, had, he came from the Littlefinger Isles, but he wasn't rich. I mean, they say that he came from no property or no title, but Varys came from nothing. He was like this neutered ma- boy prostitute <laughs> on the street. Mm-hmm. And he clawed himself up to the same thing, being just as sneaky and just as stuff. But he's kind of so... I mean, it's weird how he started such a character, and they call him the spider, and it's all... But it's weird how the third season, we're getting the real side of the characters, like Jamie and Varys. Because Varys is such an... I mean, he's one of the good guys you'd consider, I would, uh, mm-hmm, like, because... at this point. Because he does have a sense of honor, and he that stated you can his purpose. Understand. Yeah, he stated his purpose, and you've seen the real care, like in his like concern in his eyes, and when the things are going to go bad certain ways, and he hasn't backstabbed or betrayed anybody for just vengeance or anything. He's always been protecting what's important. In a, in a weird way, that, that he's a metaphor too, because he's a eunuch. So it's like like. He's like been stripped, literally stripped of all passions. It's like he's sort of the, this almost Buddhist principle, where because he's bald too, he's <laughs> he's lack he he lacks ambition, like in a physical sense. Like when you think about that. Well, the because, Buddhist thing is really right. I mean, he wears robes like a Buddhist, but he also his house mm-hmm. is very like he has a very sparse, stark existence. So he doesn't have any fancy things. I mean, that the, I like how they showed that, and so he doesn't care about money. Or even power in that sense. He really just cares about influence. And that's what he talks about in that episode. You know, he cares about not even in like a power trip kind of way, but just having the influence to make sure things, he, he can control things, you know. Well, it's just funny to see him talking to Littlefinger and saying things like, for the good of the realm. It's like, do you really even think that matters to him? And he knows it doesn't. To but that's like he's yeah. just stating that, his see, that, position. But see, that's like, how you know. Well, we're not like supporting the lie, what you call the hypocrisy of society. It's like, what do we have? But it's see, like, that's why I mean, I mean, it's to like me, chasm. It's, it's like this is like their true definition of their characters. You see that in the scene. It's, it feels like a little throwaway. I mean, at first, when you think about it, it's like because you see the total ascension of his like kind of evilness of Littlefinger, and then you also see like he knows he doesn't. He knows exactly what Littlefinger's like, but he still says that. And just it's the first time Barry says stuff that's not a sly kind of pro or pod or like it's actually 
He's just yeah, saying that because really he believes it. Yeah, he's really trying to bring out yeah. a genuine response and gets one. It's like it's a little heavy-handed this scene as far as a piece of dialogue, but the way they intercut it with what else is going on, they they do make it a really good moment as a montage. I just think it's cool because it really is the climax of those two. I mean, I don't not the climax, but it's really those two characters at their most opposite and their most because they've been teasing those guys as being this little bumbling, you know, this needling each other the whole time and. I even like, and then you see what's at stake is almost like, like they almost embody the entire show. The yeah. entire story is the struggle between these two characters, really. Which one's fire and which one's ice? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, in, in the grander scope of the show, you know, get dragons versus zombies, but the the, the story is really about people and and their mindsets, and so that is sort of like because you would say, you know. In in a weird way, you would think, you know, well, if he's a eunuch, then he's ice because he's representing, you know, the dispassionate point of view. But then Littlefinger seems particularly dispassionate because he doesn't care about anyone. Right. In a in a in a in a, in a much like he is much less passionate in the sense that he actually doesn't care about anybody. Whereas the good of the realm. It's funny that the, the metaphor used was that he would burn it all. So you think, well, again, like it's like he's fire. It's like that's the metaphor that's being painted. But but at the same time, you know, you you do think about that as being what is the passionate part of that? Like you think of you know ice as being dispassionate. So and he's more like the winter coming because you that desolation. Right. He doesn't care. I love this scene though. Once again, the show does amazing. I always, I always like compliment it for their writing, but it always does. Is and there, there, there's just these subtle things where <clears throat> it's happened like three or four times. I've kept, I mentioned it every time it happened, where you're watching a scene and then you're thinking something and they literally just say it, like or it happens like earlier on, like when the, the couple I can think of was in Joffrey was talking to his mother and she kept talking to him. And he's like, and like in my head, I'm like, good lord, this is boring. And he's like, this is becoming the most boring conversation ever. And then the other <laughs> scene where Rob's uncle's like, they're doing the funeral pyre and and before he's like, I think this would be hard to hit. And then he just starts missing. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this would be hard to hit. I was right. And this scene where he's walking in, he's staring at the throne. Like you can tell he's like off his rocker just staring at this throne for, for no reason. He's like, there's no way there's a thousand. Blades. Yeah, that's what I was saying because he says that and immediately in my head I was like, I don't think that's a thousand. I think it's probably, and he's like, there's not a thousand. It's like not even 200. Like, I was like, I love this show because then he always come. They have my internal monologue in my head captured. <laughs> like they, 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 the same, they have the same considerations yeah. that I would have. It's like that would just be irresponsible to have a chair made out of a thousand blades. Because, I mean, they, I mean, yeah, because they're showing it and I kind of start counting them as I'm looking. I was like, that's like a lot of swords. And they always say a thousand swords. And I was like, no. So. Yeah, obviously, that's why I, I do like how they play at the metaphor. Like so directly. Yeah. So yeah, then they show the the uh, Roz. So I guess that's the end of her character. She was made up for the TV show that the process of the horror. It's too bad. I liked that actress. And they they made her up for the TV show, and somebody both said why, but it's like it gave another side of that. You know, it it, it worked really well, I think. And then between between them, and then in the first season, you just see some of that relationship between all the people that kind of come in contact with her. So, yeah. Well, and it makes it, it culminates because she has two major moments that just show you that the wickedness of Joffrey, 
Yeah, the other one was almost. I mean, she's dead in this one. That's horrible. But the other one's almost more. You can't, it's hard to watch that one. Yeah, where he's like making With them the torture horns. each other and stuff. Yeah. Like Jesus, you know. And it just just goes to show you how Joffrey's cruelty is is beyond. Because you would think a regular teenage boy who had unlimited power. And you gave him, like, two women. Like, it would come up with something, you know, a little more fun to do. But instead, that's Joffrey. He's, like, he's just, like, pulling the wings off of flies. Yeah. It's like, he's, like, that. I mean, he is, he's like his mother. He's, like, a textbook sociopath. He actually enjoys the torture of it. And then we go from that torture scene to the immediate, after the action scene, the romantic ending, which is nice. <laughs> The sweeping. Well, the the climb is like that's what I like. Like there's sort of a hint of optimism because he's giving a speech about it. It's the ladder and the climb, and you think you know that that he's talking about that sort of rise to power that that chaos will bring. But it, but we see this literal chaos, which is like this lawless like wasteland that these wildlings they they're called wildlings are climbing out of and then at, at the top of that at, at the you know as they reach that the apogee of that it's these you know it's it's john and if you think about it too recording to like kind of our thinking and theory like you think it's like the future king and queen if you, i mean if well, you do if, think yeah. that because that's what this whole argument because she come says above, it yeah and then it happens because she says, these people don't care about us. The people you serve don't care about you and the people I serve don't care about me. So let's not serve them. Let's serve each other. That's what matters. And throughout, you know, midway through the episode, we see where they're going to cut them loose. That's right. That's the, the end right The ice here. is yeah. falling. And then at the very end, they actually reach the top. And you see that moment where she sees they're literally standing at the top of the world from her perspective. And that's where the two of them really do. They sort of actually do sort of validate that non-verbally but that's sort of that moment where you can see you know we're the only ones we can count on because they cut us loose and and we helped each other at the top and now here we are at top and it's you and me it's kind of weird that they show that i mean that's a weird shot for them to show too that the weird sweeping back and you see that i mean it's obviously cg and it's kind of iffy cg like blue screen but if you see it it's like i mean if if we're taking that that idea that there are and that he is like the, you know, the, the rightful heir to all that stuff. And he would be, I think of anybody in the show, he'd probably be the best king. I mean, he's the most, I mean, as far as, I don't know. I mean, he's just the most kind of noble of these guys. You know, if you think about it, he had these the same beginnings and this kind of bastard upbringing. So he's not all of privilege, but he also is learning, you know. Well, there's this moment early on where Tyrion has his first good interaction with him. And he says, you know, like, because he keeps calling him bastard. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, don't worry. You know, all dwarves are bastards, but not all bastards need to be dwarves. Right. And that's <laughs> what know? I'm saying. You see and how, that's like, sort it's... of like the setup of that character. Yeah. Don't you see how, like, it's interesting how, like, when you have these theories and you start going back, it's like, yeah, oh my God, he's planting seeds. Like, if that actually is the story. And even just this shot of the show, because if you think about it, I mean, I guess Lynn said in the book so far they don't know. I mean, that's still just a theory, you know. They don't know. That's fine. Yeah, but I, I mean, don't want but to she said that because you're talking about the culmination of the story. I'm glad they haven't revealed it in the books because I keep feeling these things out in the ether are going to reveal themselves to us, whether or not someone yeah. gives it away. Well, but but so, so but the showrunners, I, I like seeing it through the show. The showrunners know though. The showrunners know certain things and guess certain things. And the, and one of remember she said one of the things the showrunners had to talk to George Martin. George R. R. Martin about is who they think his mother is, and they guessed right, and then they gave him the show. So it's like, 
it has to do with him. Some of the stuff has to do with him. And so I was like, if they know where this is going to end up in certain ways, even though the books, like they know stuff that's not in those last two, they know stuff that's going to be in those last two books. The showrunners do. theory. That it said that they would show this. You know, even in the books, he constantly calls it, says, you're my blood. He never says, you're my son. And I just think, yeah. And like, I, so it does come, it, it does sort of, once once that's put out there, that it does seem to stand out more because he's like, I just won't ever talk about it. He never comes up and says, this is my son or whatever. You know, he just says, you know, it brought this kid back and I don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's that. And I think it's interesting that just if the showrunners knew that, then choosing to do this shot, which would be the king and queen, like looking out on their, on the realm. On their kingdom, that's like the last shot of this. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Now, you know, the climb. It's all the whole episode's kind of metaphorically about them getting to the top of this and looking. Well, like we said, all the major players in the show are exiles of some sort. Like all the major characters in the story are exiled. I mean, in some sense, all of the characters are actually exiled from their homes because it's like you know, like all the Starks leave Winterfell and it's captured, and then even the Lannisters, you know, they're about to lose Castle Rock and. You know, so no one has their actual home in King's Landing because that's just a captured territory for them. So it's like they're all exiles to some degree, but but some are more literally exiled because like Arya is literally running through the woods with crazy people. Yeah, I just know something's like, gonna happen. Like literally. he's like Jon Snow's literally out in the middle of the frozen waste with crazy people. You know, so they're more exiled in that sense. Now there's like, like so, a, but now there's only two crazy people and them. So now the odds are much better, I think. I mean, he's not in the middle of all these. They're the only four people that got up the wall. Well, their loyalties start getting more and more defined. Like, and that guy, like, there's, you know, he's he's gonna get revenge on that guy somehow because he. I love the awkward looks. The guy, he's looking back over them. He's like, yeah, I cut you loose. This is awkward is yeah, another like, good ooh, line yeah. from the show because that's what Tyrion says. It's like, that's exactly, but it's a good, it's a good line for the overall story because it is well, like, ooh, this, this is bad. Well, I think the best line probably defines the series is that one that, it says it on the CW one, but the, uh, the one that the uh, torture guy says, he's like, if you think this is a has, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that, that's true. That's too. like the motto of the show. <laughs> But this particular episode, the seems to live up like is built around awkward sort of interactions. Like, I guess it like is. Whether we're across the table from it starts from, with Sam like, and the oh, fire. Oh yeah, and then yeah, and then it's like oh yeah, remember I was gonna marry your daughter and I didn't, and now I need your help. And then like, oh, did you, you did know, you, you kill like, me? Did you get Joffrey to kill me? Like it's. Yeah, are you? Yeah, did you hire someone to murder me? And like Theon's, like, oh my god, like, I guess it I is. I want you to guess why I'm torturing you. It's like, oh god, this is so. This weird. whole episode is that. I mean, the one, only one that's not as awkward is it's Jamie, I guess, but he has one hand trying to cut the meat, so that's a little awkward. But even when like <laughs> well, they show up with the Dondarrion and the Red Melisandre, and they're like, oh uh, yeah, we just sold you, so you're gonna go with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. I know we just spouted all this nonsense. He's just standing there, and they hand him the gold, and, and he's just standing there like an idiot with those two gold sacks in his hand. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Anyway, anywho. So that yeah, awkward is the good. <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah, the less dramatic episode title would be "This is awkward." So now I feel like I mean, seven, eight, and so hold on, we have four more episodes. This is six. 
I know it feels like I love the story structure of having like like a ten episode season because it feels like just when you're getting into things, it's winding down. It's like whoa, 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 wait, hold and up. Always, I wonder like, if they'll keep to what they've done the past few seasons where episode nine was a huge one and then like the day yeah, and, was the t- I like that but then at the very end are we going to have like some major special effects thing that's going to happen it's like we had dragons at the end of season one with zombies at the end of season two what can season well, I like that though I really like that shot. because I mean I don't like ending people like the different podcasts or things I listen to people are like I don't like it lens like they should end it on that last ep- ninth episode I was like no I was like, I like having the big, I don't want to have like a lost ending. It's like, oh, that was crazy. And then you don't see, it's more fun to see the craziness and then have a whole episode of just Yeah, the don't aftermath. you understand what Denouement is for? And that's what they do in movies. They don't end it at the climax. Like you need to like. Yeah, you need a few minutes where they start going, Yeah, but we're wow, just used to, crazy. people are used to bad TV writing where they just kind of like, that's it. Next season. We don't know what happens at the end of that, but we're just going to end Freeze there. Freeze frame. <laughs> yeah. Like old, like 70s, 80s TV. Like Freeze shot, frame, roll credits. Yeah. Who shot JR? Kind of thing. It's like I don't. You ever, like the old police quad show used to be the funniest, where they wouldn't freeze frame; they just have everyone stand still. <laughs> and Nordberg would try to figure out what the pose was because yeah. he didn't understand that they were supposed to. <laughs> it's like there's like it's some brilliance to that because it is awkward. That freeze frame is so weird to just sit with that that still image. Every now and then you have a movie that ends on a freeze frame, and it feels like old cheesy TV. Yeah, well, like even just, there's even one of the Harry Potter movies does that. It's like what what kind of decision is that? That's always an awkward decision to stop at the freeze frame. Yeah, you just fade out. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, fade out's like the easiest thing in the world. I don't understand all these wipes and freeze frames in a modern world. And I think in this show though, it's like, I mean, it's it, action's never the, what you're watching the show. You're watching for the reactions and how it actually affects the characters. That's why people used to get pissed. And I, mean, I like seeing the action scenes. But people were like pissed in the first season where they didn't show the battle and all those other things. Like, what an ingenious way! I like the like that he gets knocked out and he doesn't see the battle. And I think that stuff's much more interesting because you don't care about just seeing a bunch of sword fighting. I don't at least. Well, yeah, because like, the thing is, if they can whip one out like that sword fight with the flaming sword every now and then, that's good. And I do want to see but, some dragons torch some stuff. That's pretty cool. But besides that, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, a battle's a battle. I'm, I kind of get sick of it's with CG. It seems like everybody has like these thousand guys in a battle. Yeah, scene I mean, it's not movies, gonna be more it's ba- so boring. It's not gonna be more badass than three hundred or something. So it's like, well, I don't, I don't really care then. <laughs> yeah, two guys fighting with flaming swords is much more awesome than like a thousand guys right. in a battle. So. Because battle scenes are actually all boring when you think about it, because it's action that's random, so you can't really relate to what's happening to the people. Yeah, I just like the little, they do nice little stingers, like the scene of Daenerys this year, overtaking, like, it only needs to be three minutes long, and it's fine. But I always thought that was an interesting thing, just how they did that, and the battle was over, and then you don't know what happened to Rob, and then he come back, and they had caught Jamie. I was like, oh, what a cool, I thought that was really yeah. interesting. I, I, I completely support, I mean, obviously, we spent, like, most of the last episode marveling at their, their their plot and story structure, so obviously we support the pacing of the show. And it's fun because it's like, a, you know, it's like the Star Wars discussion again, it's like it's the limitations thing, because in the book, they have the battles, I mean, they do the battles in the book, they don't do what they do in the show, but in the show, I think it's kind of much more interesting, kind of. <clears throat> and in the battle in the books, I mean, it's like it's kind of a battle. It's not really because you can't really describe battles in a book either. But they don't do just the cutaways to something else like they do in the show, which is I think is really the interesting thing. 
I think it's funny if you've if you've ever done any writing. It's like if you've written prose versus writing screenplays. It's like when you're writing prose, things like battles are kind of they're more complicated and they're harder to write, but they're fun because you can sort of give it this poetic sort of license. Yeah, but if you're writing a screenplay, structure. action scenes are the things you hate the most. Like dialogue scenes are so easy to write, and they're so much fun. But it, but an action scene is just describing what what needs to happen. Yeah, like, because oh, let's I mean, get out of this. Well, in prose, you're like you're you want to just live that character's thing. And in prose, like the chapters <clears throat> start the same. Like the chapters do have a cool ending. Like they end a lot of times. Like these scenes end. In the book, I mean, you know that now. Like, you see how like mm-hmm. some of them end perfectly, but they don't start the same way. They start very slowly because in a book you're like, okay, and now this guy's walking down the hall. Now I'm inside of Tyrion. Okay, now he's thinking this. Now, like, you kind of like you like kind of living in their shoes and stuff. But with like screenwriting, you know, they always say you come in late, leave early, kind of thing. Like, you don't ever want to have an awkward moment. It's like, okay, so I'll see you later. Okay, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Like, you want to cut out before it even. Whereas in, in prose, you have that internal monologue. You can explain what they're thinking about things and all that, and it doesn't become boring. Right. It's so weird how the, the, the medium in a screenplay depends on, on the visual element. So it's like writing it is not gratifying. So I can sort of see that where they're like, you know, let's not write a big battle scene because who cares? And then, well, let's just cut to the end of the battle, which is where the story actually happens. And they do happens. it for budgetary reasons, though, I think, in the first season more than... Which <laughs> also works, because, yeah. like, why spend all our money on this big battle that doesn't matter? Let's spend it on things that, that they just save it really the boost end. the story. Like, the last year, yeah. they saved it toward the where big battle. little burst where we have, like, zombies and dragons for just a minute, and people are like, whoa! And it looks good, and they show the big explosion last year. It's like, that's what they mm, save it for. Yeah, let's blow up, like, a fleet with Greek fire. Like, that's awesome. But a bunch of guys swinging swords, that's just wasting money on a bunch of guys. Bunch of dudes. Bunch of dudes. It's all pretty all pretty awkward. What's the next what's the next episode called? The Bear and the Maiden Fair. That's that song they're that's singing. That's that song, yeah. The next one's written by George R. R. Martin. He writes one every season. So that'll, well, that'll be fun. He wrote the Blackwater one last season. Last year, the, the the battle one. So that's a really good well, one. So <clears throat> he, well, it'll be fun to see where they go with it. Oh, he used to be a screen. We talked about this before. He used to be a screenwriter for like he was on Beauty and the Beast. And he was on the Twilight Zone when they re- brought it back in the eighties. So he spent like ten years in Hollywood. So that's why. But he says that that's why he got this snappy writing. I mean, you can tell from the book that dialogue's there in the books, which is impressive. That's interesting. He did Beauty and the Beast because it's Roy Dotrice that does the audio book that I'm listening oh, to. Oh, really? <laughs> and he played, for anyone who cared, he plays like father on the Beauty yeah. and the Beast show that no one remembers, I guess. <laughs> for, whatever, for whatever it matters. The show that people don't even watch in reruns, and I guess. But it was a good show. I think that's interesting, though, that he, he got that style, those kind of the, the one-character chapters from, he said, from working in Hollywood for 10 years. To make it snap from TV, working in TV specifically, that you needed to have act breaks and all these things, and he got that from, and all those books are structured just like long movies. Well, it works because you know to be dealing with the usually it's taboo to do that much POV shifting, but it's pretty seamless in the book so far. I'm I'm just getting to the first book, but it's like to see the scene as it plays out through that character's eyes. Not only is a different way of telling that scene that story, but 
it gives you an insight into who that person is because yeah, they interpret you, the events differently. And it helps you keep track of the characters, too. You're like, no, I'm, this is Arya chapter. This is Arya right now. And you don't have to, mm-hmm. like, think about other things. You can really get their point of view. And that's how, like, a TV show like this works. I mean, that's how TV works. That's how movies work. We don't get that. You don't usually do that a lot in books, like epic fantasy books, because you're kind of following the protagonist. It works better in prose, though, because it's not objective. Like, no matter how you film something, it becomes objective because you're just showing the story yeah, in pictures. Yeah, this you actually so get the into POV their head. Matter as much. So you're like, oh, Sansa's stupid. It's like, but even though she is dumb, like, you, you sort of identify with her more when you see the story from her perspective. It's like, you don't necessarily agree with it, but, like, you can see where she's coming from on things. Right. Because, like, I, where I am in the first book right now, it's like that first scene where... Where she's with Joffrey and they have the encounter with the butcher's boy and all that kind of stuff. And Joffrey is revealed. Like, you know he's a douche, but but that's the one where you, they really reveal, like, that he... No, he's actually a monster. <laughs> yeah. And so so you see that more in that scene. But it's told through her perspective, which makes it sadder because she wants to like him so much. In the TV show, when she's like, oh, my prince, you're like, oh, come on, how dumb is she? So even in the chapter, they've gone all, all out of their way to explain how much she wants him to be that, because she wants that sort of storybook life. Yeah, she's like her. We're talking about the sim, like the symbolism of like their wolves and stuff. Like, like the moment her wolf died, it kind of her character's like point died. And I'm not like that. She's yeah, a bad character, but like, her but what she's she, literally removed her from influence the at all. Yeah, like she's dies. removed from. The, she's no longer a Stark at the point her wolf dies. Right. And like that's part of the metaphor too, because with Arya, you know, your wolf is forced in exile, but then so are you. Like you, so that you tell these parallel stories, but Sansa is sort of removed from the family story. Right. At that moment. Because all of them, like, you know, like, Jon Snow is, is separated from Ghost, but Ghost is still out there. So he's literally, like, this sort of spirit of Jon Snow. And then when you get to the second book, they do, they do a little bit in the show. They did it this year in the show. They're doing more, like, where you see, but especially in the second book with Bran. Because those people, the, the swamp people, whatever their names are, they're, they're in the second book. That's where all this kind of storytelling's happening, those visions and stuff. And they... You see how much he actually he like he goes to sleep and he's inside his wolf, like running around and stuff. Like he's inside with yeah. a lady. No, which which is name? what makes it funny because yeah. these rumors like it turns into a dire wolf when they're talking about Rob Stark, but it's yeah. like it's kind of close because they are like these sort of spirit animals to them. Because you imagine like an outsider looking in, they just found these pups and all of a sudden they all have these cubs. But then you just show up to visit, you're like, why the hell do they all have their own wolf? Right. <laughs> like that's serious. And every time like they're like fiercely loyal. Like so every time you like just look at them wrong, this dire wolf comes out of nowhere. Like holy crap. What is what is going on? Yeah, it's like so it does give them a sort of supernatural quality, which which is sort of what it is because it is almost like, like we were saying they they serve as like this sort of Deus ex machina because they literally will come out of the woodwork and defend when one of the Stark children's in trouble. So it's not just the, this sort of perception; it's real. Right. They're there to protect them, and it's also like I don't know. We did you see Life of Pi? No, I'm I'm gonna see it soon because I saw yeah, Brooks, Brooks was mentioned that. About like, it. and there's there's a little bit and, of, and there's a discussion at the end of like, you'll you'll see it and just like the idea that I'm not gonna spoil it. Just you'll watch it and at the end there's a question you know of spirit animal you kind of question and that and it's the same kind of thing. It's like 
are these these animals kind of represent your aggressiveness or or something in that situation they're actually doing that work for you so you should see yeah, that well it's i think just... in in the case of game of thrones that's true i w- life of pi is literally like supposed to come tomorrow yeah so I it's, that, it's interesting that in in, in reference to this discussion we're having right now you should watch it and check it out because it's kind of similar i mean it's all about animals and about how you know these animals but just how you'll see it's very interesting just about how companionship with this thing that's fierce and stuff that I think that's it. We'll talk about it next week. If you, or we'll talk about a Life of Pi episode, I guess. But. Yeah, we'll have a Life of Pi when we watch Iron Man because I haven't seen that yet either. Yeah, I go, I'll watch that too. But anyway. I got to watch Iron Man later on. I mean, we'll, we'll get on that. But, it's, uh, but so, all yeah. Right. So, so cool. yeah, I, I, I do think that's the metaphor in the case of, of these wolves, even though you don't see as much of them except Ghost made an appearance at the very beginning, you know. But the sort of the fact that they're sort of represented by these wolves even when they're in they're absent is sort of telling of that too. Yeah, and they like have their interests are represented by these wolves even when they're not there. And they have a supernatural, but I mean cuz really they're mythical creatures in some sense because yeah, dire wolves they're not, are like they're like, above the they're north of the wall and not, nobody's seen one ever. Like And they're sort of like the dragons where yeah, they're big, but dire wolves are supposed to get real big. So these are not full grown yet. Yeah, they've only. I mean, really, because it's only been six months or something since they've been. I know they're like they're cubs. Like when you read the first book, they're they're cubs and they're like jumping people. Like how big are these wolf cubs? Like the size of large dogs. Yeah, and there's a way they say in the book too. It's like they take it for granted because it's like yeah, but they're big wolves. But as far as like nobody has seen a dire wolf like, and I think that's what they talk about in the book like in hundreds of years. Yeah, it's an omen. I mean, it's yeah, also like a dragon thing, thing but too. nobody, everybody's like, oh, that's pretty cool. But then they're like, well, but it's just like a big wolf. So it's not like a dragon. It's just like a big wolf. But they're just as rare in that sense that they're, they're these mythical creatures too, which is, I think, kind of interesting. They're the, I see that's fire and ice. Those are the two things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the portent. Yeah. It makes a cool sigil too, the big wolf. Yeah, well, it's just neat because even in the in like we were saying, even in the sense where he's saying, "Oh, they represent you," because there's one feature of your children, and then it turns out to be sort of a runt that becomes John's wolf too, and that sort of reinforces. So, like you're you're one of them too. But he's also like the pure white one too. If you want to read into that, he's and, the albino. Yeah. Well, and I, typically speaking, and Theon says this when they run into him, but typically speaking, the albino is the weak one. Right, which is weird because to think that in the middle of snow, an albino that would not be the case. Like an like an albino would be perfectly protected if he was born pure white right. and it's snowy. Like like then and maybe that's the metaphor too because they're saying oh an albino is like well it was perfectly suited he for a snowy in. environment. Which also, yeah, which also makes sense of where he <clears throat> ends up being, which is why he's good. But also, then also brings the question: Why do the crows wear black? Why don't they wear white? <laughs> I know. It's like, don't you think pride is because the wildlings do you have your beat on that one? I mean, come on. It's like the worst costume ever. I mean, even like, even like, yeah, I mean, the Imperials wear white when they. <laughs> it's, it all goes back to you thinking that the Night's Watch is based on this sort of assumption that there won't actually be trouble. It's like, we have these guards at the wall, but we're just really keeping them busy. We don't actually think there'll be trouble at the wall. And they come from a tradition of just brute strength and power. We had thousands yeah, we of just people. And it's the put fit, like a thousand the, of these guys men, in. Yeah. No one will ever invade from the north because we got like a 700-foot wall that's guarded by a thousand maniacs. 
So why would you want to invade that? Because you are already living north of the wall. We don't even know why we're afraid of you coming because you were already there. Yeah, because at that time they were the most, they were like the special forces, if you think about it, because that, I mean, the threat of the White Walkers is the biggest threat. I mean, that's the one that that everybody cared about a thousand years ago, but now nobody. Like, yeah, yeah. now it's just like it's another one of those things that's just a tradition it's like that the, doesn't seem to actually fulfill its function. It's like Canadian Border Patrol or something now. Like, yeah. <laughs> there was like a story that there was a guy all the way up to the 60s, there was a position where in the army where there was a guy whose job it was to watch out for Napoleon's troops. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, and they finally just like, like they finally sort of dissolved that position, but it it existed for you know for a long time because like traditions until someone comes around and says this is nonsense, a tradition. Well, they have those stories now, like in modern like like Nazis or also Cold War people that've been in a bunker, like or been on these islands for like thirty years, didn't know World War Two was over. When they finally find them, like, hey, it's over. Yeah, he's like, no, it's not. I'm, you know, they're gone nuts. <laughs> Not to me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Rambo, not to it him. A, it was a Japanese one, that's what it was. It was a Japanese, they had these little islands, and they had a guy that was stationed in this, some island, and he was there for like 20 years before they realized that he was there, I guess, but from World War II. And he didn't know they surrendered, he didn't know anything that happened. But he had enough You have supplies. to be a little crazy to just think <laughs> yeah. that, that nothing's changed in 20 years. Like, surely, like, at some point, the balance of power shifted right. at some point. But yeah, but that's an interesting, you know, that's an interesting look into the way this world is, because that's the way this whole world is. They're all cut off all the time. Yeah, and the ravens work sometimes. They shoot them down half the time. So. Yeah, the only, yeah, <laughs> our only, I mean, guys, maybe we should stop communicating by raven. That seems like the world's least effective way. Even as birds go, that's not the best bird we could have picked. <laughs> yeah. The raven. But, yeah. I mean, traditional. I'm just saying. I prefer ravens. Yeah. <laughs> that Rook says that story. <laughs> I just hear those kids discuss something one time, those like goth kids or something. They're just having animals conversation. And there's one goth kid's like, I prefer ravens. <laughs> They're talking about birds. <laughs> that's, that's, that's totally funny. out of context <laughs> for anybody listening, but that's funny. I, I know. That's that's like we were going to talk about that show, The Following, and that's sort of what The Following is about, where it's like a cult of, around this one guy, but they're all into Poe, and you're like, oh man, what a bunch of nerds. Yeah. Like, it's hard to take seriously, because it's like, you know, they're supposed to be based on this, like, real intellectual, like, sort of mentality, but then they pick Poe, who's like, like, one of the most, he's like the pop star Pastiche, of, of yeah. gothic, like, literature. <laughs> Yeah. So that's not even the deepest route that you could have chosen for that. But then if you're going to be, if you're a psychopath just trying to appeal to morons, then you would pick something well-known. You wouldn't pick something yeah. obscure. Let's get around and I'm watch. Like, Quote the... the Raven. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Let's get around we and watch The Crow. How about that? Like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. We've, we've lost it. Yeah. It's over. It's going on to right. talk about animals. And... Let's, we got into free talk. Yeah, let's talk about goth, goths and their spirit animals in the, in the final segment of t- TV on the throne. I mean, the, well, the Night's Watch are kind of goths. I mean, they're all moody, rapist, <laughs> and black. I don't know that goths are rapists. Well, that was a, that was moody, a, goth, that rapist. That was a gross generalization, but like... <laughs> 
All right, so you can listen to other episodes <laughs> of TV on yeah, this kind of talk excites you. Like TV, yeah, really. You can go to our our rapist goth website. <laughs> That's I don't even know what, what to call it. We're on a t- TV on the throne dot blogspot dot com is is our temporary landing pad for this show. And if that doesn't exist at that time, it'd just be TV at my dinner. That's fine. If that's not there, just go back to TV at my dinner. TV at my dinner will always be there. That's where you can listen to episodes of our of our parent show, TV at my dinner, and you can listen to episodes of this. We're all on the same feed. Um, you can follow TV at my dinner on uh, Facebook and Twitter and the Google Plus. And you can go to forum.tvatemydinner.com where we can talk about things thrown or other things. Unthrown things. What is this Google Plus you talk about, sir? (laughs) What is this plus of the Googles? Somebody, there's another side real quick. Somebody, they have Ren Fairs in LA and somebody on Twitter talking about somebody got arrested. He's like on the hood of the car. He's like, what am I I being arrested for? He's like in full like regalia. And he's like, and he's like, public drunkenness. <laughs> and then, then they tweet on Twitter. They said, "It's like, what is this black and white carriage you drive, sir?" And like, who is this Miranda rights you keep speaking of? <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna go around dressed up in that kind of outfit, you should be prepared to take a little grief. <laughs> that reminds me of a time I was denied entry into a bar in Savannah because I looked too drunk, and he's like. And I just remember the guy was like, you're slurring your words. And I keep saying, I slurred my words. Like really like demonstrative, like to try to prove him wrong. And I realized the more you say that phrase, the more you do sound like you slur. I slurred my words. Yeah, slur is like, there's no no way to say that without without slurring. It's one of those words that sounds like the thing it describes. So, whatever. Anyway. So... Tune in next week. We'll have some more TV at my dinner coming your way, too. I don't know what's, what we're going to cover next. Probably the new Iron Man film. But uh, obviously we'll come back in another week and cover the next episode of TV. Uh, of, of TV <laughs> I don't even know what show we're doing. Next week we'll cover the next episode of Game of Thrones. So until then, my name's Sean. And I'm Andrew. This is awesome. still fucked. <laughs> <laughs>